This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. This is a great crowd here. Um, my name is Dan Hubley. Um, I'm from Focusrite. We're sponsoring the technical track. So if you're in this room, you're going to hear a couple words from me before every session. I want to tell everybody there's a card. It should be on most of the seats. Uh, you can enter to win one of our brand new products. It's called Vocaster. It's an audio interface made specifically for podcasters. And if you don't want to try your luck, you can flip it over and you can get a show special. So if you want to buy one during the show, you can. It's a really cool interface. Uh, but I'm really honored to be able to announce the next two people. I didn't know this was going to happen until I got here. But we're going to learn about podcasting 2.0. Are we excited about that? Well, awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the heck out of the way because you don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from... Mr. Adam Curry and Mr. Dave Jones. Come on up, guys. Well, howdy, everybody. Howdy. I mean, we're in Texas. Who's not from Texas? Liquid sunshine is what we call that, okay? It's not actually rain. Uh, Dave Jones and I, he's right there. Uh, we're here to present Podcasting 2.0. It seems like a lot of you may be familiar with it, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to present enough so that people can walk away with a good idea of what's going on. Because what we did is we upgraded podcasting, and um, we have about 17 new features, uh, features that you can start using today. You, in fact, you may already have some of these features and not know it, depending on which hosting company you have. Um, almost half a million RSS feeds have some version or some piece of these new uh, functionality and features um, that are now being consumed by, in total, 58 apps and services. Uh, it's happened within a very short amount of time, just two years. And if uh, you want to look at some of those while we're speaking, newpodcastapps.com. Newpodcastapps.com is where you can see it. So we're going to walk you through all of these different features. There's a lot. Um, and we'll have beautiful slides. This is just the intro portion. <laughs> which includes no other slide but that. Uh, but I do need to uh, give a little bit of history as to what's going on, how we got here, and what happened. Um, over 18 years ago, Dave Weiner and I invented podcasting. Um, this uh, was actually the... <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, the technology actually was completed in, uh, in 2000, which kind of shows you how long sometimes these things take to happen, because it wasn't until the iPod was until I saw the iPod in 2003, 2004, that we really started to put it all together. And the way we um, created podcasting was not by having the name, that didn't come until later, um, but by creating a podcast, uh, in this case it was the daily source code, and all I did was talk about what we needed, which is now that we didn't need stinking transmitters, we had an RSS feed, we needed radios, and those radios had to be podcast applications. Um, there was no smartphones at the time, um, so we only had um, applications that ran on the computer, and the idea was you could listen to, you could subscribe to podcasts the way it happened back in the day, is we had no directory, no place to go find all the podcasts. You would literally go to someone's website, you would find the little orange RSS icon, you would right-click, copy, go to your podcast application, paste it in, voila, finally you're good to go. Uh, so the evangelizing was really just about building the apps, making it work, and, and, it, and it happened very quickly. We had iPodder X and iPodder Lemon, all, all these different kinds of applications. Uh, and that just 
moved along quite swiftly. We got a lot of press from, uh, I think it was really the BBC and who started early on and then people came in like um, uh, WGBH in, uh, in Boston and put some NPR content up. But in the meantime, we had hundreds and hundreds of crazy people creating incredibly interesting content. Um, none of it would have ever been airable on public airways for a number of reasons. Um, uh, and it, it was it, mainly because there are also no ad breaks that would certainly make it difficult. Uh, and that started to build quite nicely. In 2006, I got a call from Steve Jobs and he said, Adam, shall we put this in uh, iTunes? And I said, well, let me think about it. He said, yeah, great idea. So we did. Um, it was kind of funny, in fact, that the first, if you can find it on YouTube, um, the first podcast Steve played was the Daily Source Code where I was cussing about uh, my Mac product. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> this was it kind of set the, the tone for a lot of uh, what podcasting was and would be. Um, right after that, um, you know, podcasting now in iTunes, it exploded and I started a podcast network. Was actually, Steve gave me the name of a few uh, venture capital investors, uh, big names, and they were happy to entertain the idea of a network where we would uh, pay podcasters, be in partnership with them. We created LLCs. They all had their own little businesses. And we would manage uh, the hosting, the network, and the advertising, thinking that we could change advertising to fit this new model. We failed spectacularly at that. I raised a lot of money, spent a lot of money, had a good time, but we never changed advertising. And the biggest problem was brand safety, brand appropriateness. Nothing we had hit that. In fact, most of the advertisers were just scared, even though they heard one, one episode, oh, that sounds good, but I can't just, you know, I need to hear every episode because some, you know, this Madge Weinstein might say something weird and Donna Drew used the F word. So it became very difficult to the point where I found myself making content that was appropriate for advertisers and not having any fun. Uh, so I started a podcast uh, 15 years ago now, with, almost, with John C. Dvorak called No Agenda. And the whole idea was no advertising because we just want to be able to talk freely and, and really talk about media, deconstruct the media, deconstruct uh, the news to, uh, to have full freedom to do whatever we wanted. We even self-hosted. We made sure that there was no way that we could get into any trouble. But of course, it, it was a lot of work. And then we said, as two guys who like to work but like to be compensated, hey, listeners, you got to pay us something if you want us to continue to do that. Why don't you send us uh, five bucks a month just on the subscription? I think we used PayPal at the time. We still use PayPal. Um, and lo and behold, about 4% of whatever the audience was at the time sent us $5 a month. That was not very uh, satisfying because it was a very low number. Um, and so we said, this is really not working. Uh, and then we had a weird idea, and that was, why don't you just send us whatever you think the show is worth? So we think that we have something valuable, we're presenting value to you, we're giving it to you, for you to evaluate, you determine what the value of it is. Maybe there was something you heard that was a stock tip, or, or that you created a stock tip from, or maybe you just laughed, or maybe there was a personal, whatever it was, I can't, look in your pocketbook and, and know what valuable is to you. So the next show, we had still had a lot of people sending us $5. Amazingly, a lot of people valued that episode at $50 and a couple at $500. And of course, we never look back. So we're never going to ever going to go back to this forced model of how much you have to subscribe and pay to us. That made no sense. And really, we discovered that it's all about the ask. 
If you ask people to tip you, you're gonna get tips. If you ask people to send you equal value back that they got from that, from that episode or from the podcast, you will get a lot more. And now 15 years later, our kids have gone through college, we have very comfortable lives, we're not millionaires, but we're very, very happy and we have jobs that we love that people compensate us for because they love the actual value they receive. So we were doing this for, as I said, going on 15 years now, almost 1,500 episodes. And um, Apple, in the meantime, didn't do much with podcasting, but they did some very important things. They created the one-click subscription. That was groundbreaking. They also created an index, the, the Apple podcast, which unfortunately kind of became the on-ramp to podcasting. You had to get your Apple account. You had to be an Apple. Otherwise, you wouldn't show up in the... In the um, in the Apple podcast uh, ecosystem, uh, which is okay, um, but the problem became evident in 2020, early 2020, when Apple decided in uh, concert with a number of Silicon Valley companies to deplatform a whole bunch of podcasts. It could have been 20, could have been 30, doesn't really matter who or why or for what reason. The problem was that, and, and by the way, if Apple doesn't want to have certain content on their app, that's fine. The problem was that these podcasts disappeared from all apps, and there were a lot of independent apps because of the nature of RSS feeds and how many millions of feeds we now have, it becomes very difficult for an individual app to maintain and aggregate all of these feeds, certainly if you want to search things, if you want to have up-to-date information on episodes. So all these independent app developers had hooked into the Apple database. That put too much power in Apple's hands because they could literally take someone off everywhere. And that is an, an, the antithesis of podcasting. The whole idea is if you have an MP3 file and an RSS feed, which is just a file, you can podcast. Um, uh, but the, the uh, ecosystem and the infrastructure had really, was really now completely reliant on Apple. And Apple, I want to make it clear, has been a very good steward of podcasting. No, nothing but uh, compliments. This is not their fault. They did exactly the right thing, and I think they did much better than any other Silicon Valley company. It was a great partner for podcasting until this moment. Not malicious or wrong on their part, but we needed to have independence back. So um, Dave Jones, who will be walking you through a lot of these features in a moment, uh, we've been friends for over 10 years. We've created several fantastic products, all based around um, feed aggregation, RSS feed pub uh, publication, OPML, show notes organization, some of the best products I've ever been involved in, which nobody but we use because they're complicated, people don't get them, they, we have weird thinking, but we love working together. I'm in Texas, Dave's in Alabama, and uh, I called them up and I said, Dave, um, we need to uh, build a new index that's independent, no VC money, in fact, we're gonna, we're gonna finance it from our own pocket to start with, and then we'll, we'll run it value for value and we'll have people support it, and if they care about it, they'll support it, it'll work, and then we can continue. Uh, and we're also going to build in a payment system so that people can start making money from the moment they publish their podcast. And typical Dave went, okay. And so we, we started to build it. And here's what happened. <laughs> we created an open API for any software developer to hook in and do anything they could imagine with uh, the full index of all podcasts pretty much available globally. And we, we, we opened up a um, social media site of Mastodon and all these developers came in. It wasn't just app developers, it was hosting companies. It was people who, who love feeds and finding feeds, who had collections of feeds, statisticians, 
psychologists, uh, podcasters, listeners, everybody started to show up and good things started to come out of this. And again, no venture capital money, we're independent, um, it's 100% free of any type of uh, disturbance other than you know, Dave and I falling down and, uh, and walking away, but since we've published all the code, everything's open source, the database is available, the full database minus owner email addresses uh, is available for download. Well, that's our exit strategy. We're gonna spam everybody one day. We have, we have everything. The payment system was important to me because um, financial platforming is also an issue. Um, and uh, I've been very dependent upon PayPal to this day with no agenda. If PayPal decides that I'm no good, then I have a real problem. So we need to have something that would remove that. Now, in the meantime, we'd seen um, all kinds of uh, subscription or um, uh, donation systems come online. Uh, some very famous examples, but they were still kind of set on levels, on tiers, and not really opening up your own, um, you know, opening up the value to be returned in any amount. Um, and, you know, there's lots of fees and things uh, involved in that. Um, I, during this period, I had discovered the Lightning Network, which we'll get into a little bit here, um, but what we were able to do is digitize this idea of value for value and remove almost all friction, so it's right in the app. If you think that show is valuable, you can be streaming money in real time in micropayments back to the podcaster with no one else in between you and the listener and the podcaster. We also were able to do something very unique for software app developers. We put them in the flow. App developers had never been in the flow. They never saw any Joe Rogan money or BBC ad money. They have to resort to ads, tracking, selling data, or uh, premium features, which again, you're in the ecosystem of $2.99 for your app, which to me is ludicrous. Sometimes it's really hard if you, if you really value something to give the creator more. Um, Silicon Valley has determined that the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, without a doubt, the best love song ever written, you can purchase that for 99 cents. But if you really ask me, $99 every time, every single time. So these are mistakes that we make in an, an old world thinking. So when the developers came, this started to blossom. Lightning Bitcoin people came in, and now we have in, uh, in uh, I don't know how many, probably five or six of these apps, you can literally be listening, streaming value back, and you can send a boostagram, uh, which is a larger amount, very analogous to uh, YouTube Super Chat, and you can send a little message. And this is the feedback loop where value for value is not just an exchange of value, but you also, it's a content programming format. So now you, you acknowledge people's support, you read their note, and that feeds upon itself, and, it's a whole other session to explain value for value, which I would love to do one day, uh, but we want to get into these features so people can see them and start using them right away. And this is what was the big aha moment. There was a pent-up demand for features, ideas, fantastic creativity that could not happen previously because we had the chicken and the egg problem. Apple is the main, the main uh, at the hub of the ecosystem. If they don't do it, none of the apps will be able to, uh, to do it. So that means no one's going to create the functionality on the feed creation side. So it was just in limbo with years and years and years of people forming groups and asking Apple to do something which they never would do. Um, because we're independent and, and, and anyone can come up with their ideas, we now had both sides. We had hosting companies, which is beautifully decentralized in podcasting. You know, there's 
hosting companies with 100, 150,000 customers. There's hosting companies with 3,000 customers. And now, when they add a feature, they can see it in at least five or six different apps. And this started to build over these two years, and I could not be prouder of all the people who, and some of them are in this room, who have participated in this on all different levels. And um, we're pretty sure that this is, uh, has enough uh, mass and speed uh, that this will be adopted across the board. Again, um, your hosting company may already do this. If not, call up your hosting company, uh, contact them, ask them for these features. If your favorite podcast does not use any of these features, send them an email, ask them. If you're a podcaster, ask your listeners and your viewers to go to newpodcastapps.com and try something new out. That is how marketing works in podcasting. Uh, it's a little different than the typical discovery people want. Um, so with that, would you like to learn about these new features that you can use today? The excitement is just too much. Ladies and gentlemen, my partner, Mr. Dave Jones. Exactly 15 minutes. I guess I need a, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take one of those, that way I can move around. Uh, let's see, Adam got his uh, intro, uh, but we'll talk about, you know, we'll go through the features, the whirlwind tour of features here in a second, uh, but I want to start with something that's not really a feature, it's a service, uh, and it's something that we, uh, the, we developed early on, uh, yeah, here we go, something we developed early on is called Podping. Um, the problem with, you know, uh, feed aggregation uh, historically, and it's not a new problem, it's been known forever, is that whenever you have a large quantity of feeds, in pod, uh, like with podcasting or blogging or anything, in order to efficiently find new content that's published in those feeds, uh, you have to just pull them over and over and over thousands and thousands of times a day. Every hosting company that's represented in this room knows this. They know that they get hammered thousands, maybe 10,000 times a day per feed, just hoping that at one, at one point, one of them may change. Um, we all know this is inefficient and it's a, um, it's a waste. Uh, the traditional way to solve that that was developed a few years ago uh, is called WebSub. So WebSub solves this by putting an intermediary between you and the feed. So the feed can say, the publisher can say, okay, something changed, and they'll let a hub server know, and then you as the, agri as the app or service or platform can say, um, okay, I will register with the hub, so whenever the hub gets notified something updates, has updated, then the hub will let me know. Um, there's a bunch of problems with this. Uh, number one, you have uh, servers involved that have to be online all the time. Uh, number two, you have subscriptions that have to take place. So the podcast index, we have four million feeds uh, in our index, in our database. We resubscribe to WebSub all day long, every single day. We're just, we have one server that just does nothing but resubscribe to WebSub notifications. And if you stop, you stop getting notifications. So we solved this in a different way. We solved it with a blockchain. Uh, we use the Hive blockchain, which is a uh, blockchain that updates every three seconds. And the publishers themselves can write directly to the blockchain uh, using a service called podping.cloud that we run, or they can do it themselves. So every time a feed, a podcast updates with a new episode or any other content, uh, the, the hosting company can write directly to the blockchain and say, okay, here's the feed URL, and, we, and, and it changed. 
within about 45 seconds, it'll show up publicly for anybody to see because it's a public ledger. There's no servers involved on the listening side. It's one script. You just watch the blockchain and you see every single feed that updates. If you want to have like a fish tank experience, you can go to podping.watch, which is a website, and you can see in real time all these feeds that update constantly. Um, so keep that idea in mind, and we'll come back to it in uh, a little bit later, and you'll see why, that, why that's more important than it sounds. Um, so we'll do the feature tour now. I was told I can't do 44 slides in 30 minutes, but uh, I'm going to do it. Uh, we have two sort of unwritten rules within Podcasting 2.0 when we talk about features. Number one, never leave the app. So all the features that we develop, we don't want you to have to leave the podcast app to go somewhere else, to some other website or service or something like that to get that feature. Um, number two is the feed is always the source of truth. So if, it's not, if the feed says one thing and some service or external uh, uh, entity says something else, the feed is always the one that wins. Um, so let's talk about the easy stuff first. Cloud-based chapters. <clears throat> chapters have been around in podcasting for a long time. Uh, they typically use an ID3 tag or some sort of embedded metadata within the audio file. Uh, that's, that's fine, but we wanted to decentralize that, decouple that, uh, take the audio video and separate the metadata out so that they could live in two places. That has a couple of benefits. Um, the feed can just say, okay, here's the chapter data over here. It's in a file, go get that file and you'll get all the chapters. One benefit to that, you, we do it on our show every Friday uh, when Adam publishes the show, he also publishes just a stub, an empty chapters file. And then a guy that uh, is a producer on our show, he goes and he edits the chapters file after the fact. We don't have to touch it. Uh, it's hard enough to publish your episode as it is and do all the editing and that kind of thing. You don't want to have to go through there and, and edit all of your chapters. So we give uh, a guy named Dreb, we give him a split of our income and he does our chapter work for us. He uses a product called Hypercatcher Studio, um, and that's what the feed looks like. Uh, he uses Hypercatcher Studio to do this, and he'll go and edit those chapters, and as he puts in the chapter markers, the podcast apps can see those chapters coming in. It just saves us time, and it also allows you to crowdsource it, so you could have multiple people working on chapters at the same time. Uh, the other benefit to uh, external chapter files is that it divorces the, the chapter content from the audio itself so that the audio you choose to use, and again this will come in important later, the audio format you choose to use doesn't have to natively support chapters as long as you reference the external file. This is the causality podcast and you can see it's a very, this is an engineering disaster podcast where he analyzes various engineering disasters and he makes uh, great use of, of this format where he's putting in images and uh, location data and all kinds of things into the chapters uh, to make it a rich experience. Let's talk about transcripts. So transcripts, early on, Buzzsprout bought, uh, brought the transcript format they were already using with Podcast Addict. They brought this to the party and we uh, implemented it into the namespace. So now it can be, it's a benefit for everybody and not just their customers. Um, 
The transcript also is very similar to chapters, just uses an, a reference to an external format, to an external file. Um, you can see it in use here. And this episode will be kind of short because we're going to do a silly speculation folder next week. So this is the Fun Fact Friday podcast, uh, and you can see it's just uh, following along with the transcript. That's a time-encoded transcript. You can do uh, up to three different formats of transcript, current, uh, four uh, formats of transcript currently, and the feed, all it does is just references the external transcript in, in the, uh, in the, in the uh, item. The funding tag, this was a simple one. Um, we, it's just a link to an external payment site, something like Patreon, buy me a coffee, that kind of thing, and then a call to action or a message to the user. Uh, very simple, you can put it right in the feed, and you can see here, this is the Castomatic app, and there's a button down there at the bottom that lights up whenever somebody has the funding tag, and you tap on the button, and it takes you straight to their donation page or subscriber page right in the app. I'm making good time. This, this clock is my enemy right now. Um, the person tag, very straightforward tag, uh, very useful information. Uh, right in your feed, in an item or at the podcast level, you can, just, you can say, here are all the people that are involved in this podcast. You can give their name, uh, a link to their bio, a link to, uh, to their, like a headshot, uh, and the role that they play on the podcast. So you can put the, the host, co-host, guest, uh, sound engineer, uh, you know, whatever role they play. And we worked with the podcast taxonomy people to use that list uh, as the source data for this. Uh, you can see this, uh, for example, here's the podcast app called Podfriend, and you can see uh, there's James and Sam. Their uh, pictures are down there, and it lists them as being uh, people on this podcast. Um, the location tag is another tag that we, that we developed. Uh, James had a, a big hand in this. It's a simple tag. Name of a location, and if you want, some geolocation data so you can pinpoint the exact location. Uh, you, if you're doing a podcast about Dallas, Dallas, Texas, per, uh, fairly simple. If you want to get real specific and say the Sheraton in Dallas, put some geolocation data in there and, and nail it down even further. You can see, it's kind of hard to see, but uh, Podfriend also shows this at the bottom, uh, Wichita, Kansas, I think that, that is. Uh, but if that, if that data is in there, you can see how that would be extremely useful to aggregators to pull in that data and begin to build um, lists of podcasts that are about a particular location. Uh, so you can see, uh, you can see that it doesn't even have to be a real location. If you do a podcast about Narnia, it could be Narnia. If you do a podcast about Middle Earth, it could be that. <laughs> uh, the medium tag. So let's uh, let's spend a minute on this. It's a fairly new tag, but within the podcasting 2.0, we have you know visions of, of a short term, a mid term, a long term. The medium tag is one of these things that could be an absolute game changer within podcasting, uh, and, I'll, and you'll see why. You can just simply tell the podcast apps or directories or services what type of content is in the podcast. So is it a traditional spoken word podcast? Is it music? Is it film? 
Is it video? Is it an audio book? That type of data is, is not, it doesn't exist within podcasting now. If you can tell, if you're doing music podcasts, if you're an indie musician and you do a music podcast where each one of your episodes is a track and you put the music medium tag in there, all of a sudden you can do crazy stuff like this. This is the CurioCaster app. It's a web-based podcast app. And Stephen has a whole music section where he just lists music podcasts. If you click there, it changes his entire app UI into a, to be a music player. Um, and then all the episodes are track listings. And then all the transcripts are song lyrics. It changes the entire behavior of the, cons of the consumption apps to be something different. You can imagine this with something like, uh, like, a doc like documentaries. Uh, the player could change formats to be uh, condu better conducive to film uh, in this case. Um, the soundbite tag, another simple tag. Uh, you just say, okay, at this marker in the episode, uh, at this timestamp, uh, that's where a clip starts. It has this much duration and an optional title to make it easy to understand what the clip is about. You're just defining clips in the feed or in the episode. And then other um, apps and services can pick that up. Here's Podverse and Fountain. Uh, they're two newer podcast apps, or Fountain's newer, Podverse has been around a long time. But they're heavily uh, clip sharing oriented. And they make use of the soundbite tag to find, easily find clips. Now you as the creator can define those clips and say, you know, I think this is the best part of the show. And you can do that right in the feed. Um, all right, so that's the easy stuff. Let's talk about the hard stuff. Value for value, or the value tag. This is what Adam was talking about just a minute ago. Um, the value tag lets you send Crypt, uh, digital currency directly in the app from listener to creator. Uh, it's a simple tag in its concept. It's a little bit more difficult in practice, but it basically boils down to a list of wallet addresses, digital wallet addresses, a percentage of how much of the payment goes to each one of those addresses, and what type of digital currency it is. Um, and so you can say, Here's my, here's my digital wallet. Let's just use Bitcoin as an example. Here's my Bitcoin wallet, and I'm going to put that in my feed, and I'm going to say every time you pay me, I want it to go to this wallet. Done. You can expand that and say, okay, I have a co-host. I want to get 50% of the payment, and I want my co-host to get the other 50% of the payment. The app sees that. It splits the payment in half. In this uh, scenario, we're sending 25,000 Satoshis, which is a, piece, uh, a fragment of a Bitcoin. 12,500 goes to the host, 12,500 goes to the co-host, all good. You can keep getting more crazy with it. You can add multiple splits. We have, sh we have episodes on our show that we have five, six, seven splits going to different people. Uh, whenever we have a guest on our show that has a Bitcoin wallet, we put them in there so that they get paid as well. In that way, you're monetizing over time, you're monetizing your back catalog as you go without having to do any extra work. If somebody goes three years from now and listens to this episode, that guest is going to get paid. Here's, an, here's a demo. 
large-scale midday shootout in the West, it's been extrapolated to a great many fictional Westerns. But let's get into the details of the story. The event took place in the town of Tombstone, Arizona, and the name Tombstone probably adds to the mythos of the story. So this is me sending a boost, a payment, and you get a little bit of confetti when it goes through. Makes you feel good. That was a, a demo of me sending a boost to uh, Gary Arndt's podcast. Um, and I sent him, you know, a couple thousand Satoshis right from the app. Again, never leave the app. And it went straight to his wallet. There was no pro payment processors involved. There was no third-party platforms involved. It was, at that point, the app knows where to send it. And it was just a, a standard digital currency transaction. Let's go to cross-app comments. Uh, this is a fairly new tag, new feature. Um, it's got adoption by a couple of apps currently. It's fairly simple in, in its idea. Like I said, harder in practice. The idea is that here's where my comments live for this episode. This is where I want the discussion, as the creator, this is where I want the discussion to take place. And I'm going to put that URL of that discussion thread into the episode. That way the app knows where to go to find those comments. Uh, and then you say, which protocol is it? So is it Twitter? Is it ActivityPub? Is it something uh, that, we haven't, that we haven't built around yet? Once the app knows those two critical pieces of information, it can pull all those comments in and show them in the app. And you, never, you don't have to get kicked out to Twitter or kicked out to a Mastodon server or kicked out to some other third, uh, third service. The, this little bit of information gives the app everything it needs combined with software libraries uh, that are uh, being developed. You can see uh, Podverse is showing, uh, this is one of the discussion threads for, our, uh, for episode 94 of our show. It's right in the app. If you go and look at this, I didn't pull the screenshot, but if you go and look at the same episode in Podfriend, you see the exact same comments. All the discussion lives right in the app. Live streams. This is recent, but it's, it's going at a fast pace. Um, the idea here is that you define an episode in the feed as a live episode. You need a couple of things. You need where's the audio stream or video stream located? What time does it start? What time does it end? And what's the current stat status of it? The status can be live. That means it's going on right now. It can be pending, which means it's going to start in the future, or ended, which means it's already over. Those bits of information tell the app everything it needs. It knows at that point there's going to be a live stream starting at this moment, and here's the URL of the audio or video stream that I need to go to and start playing when the live stream starts. You can see here's, uh, example, here's CurioCaster app on the top, Podverse on the bottom. They're both showing the exact same live episode in progress right now. And again, this is decentralized across all the apps. They can all see this information, and so they all have the ability to do this. The problem with live streams is bandwidth. We all know live streams can be heavy. They can be hard on mobile. So alternate enclosures come in. This is another feature that was developed uh, primarily by a guy named Alex Gates. Uh, the idea here, this is probably the most complex tag 
uh, in the entire namespace. But it's complicated for a reason, because it lets you define the audio stream, video stream, bit rate, uh, codec, a lot of information you can get really fine-grained. And you can say, for this episode, here's all the available streams. I don't have to do a high bit rate feed and a low bit rate feed and a video feed and an audio feed and an opus feed and an MP3 feed. You don't have to do all this. You put all of the, you can take all of that data and put it right into your current feed in the episode. And then when the podcast app sees it, they have all the information they need to make intelligent decisions about what they need to do at that point in time. So if, they have, if they're in a bandwidth congestion area, they can drop back to a low bitrate feed. If you turn the screen off on your phone and you are watching video, it can fall back to the audio version and save bandwidth. So that, um, that complements the live item perfectly and uh, regular episodes as well. The other problem is timing. When you're dealing with live items, when you're dealing with live streams, just because you say it's gonna start at 12.30 doesn't mean that it's gonna start at 12.30. If you have technical problems or you're eating lunch or whatever, it may start at 12.35. It may start at 12.25. You don't know. Uh, so you need some extra, uh, some extra signal to tell you, okay, it was supposed to start at 12.30, but now it actually did start. And that's where we come back to Podping. You can take the idea of Podping, which is a global notification system, a push notification system, or maybe a message bus for podcasting, you can put an extra bit of data in there. You can put a reason code. And so now you're not only telling the world this feed updated, but now you're telling it the world why it updated. In this example, you're saying it's this feed updated because one of the episodes went live. And as soon as the world sees that, all these podcast apps, they can immediately go check the feed, see if indeed the status is live, and if it did, then they can send a push notification to their listeners, to their uh, customers, showing them such. This is my phone. Uh, this is where we went live on a Friday recently, and you can see Podverse put, popped up a push notification and said, Podcasting 2.0 just went live. Tap that push notification, pops up, I'm listening to the live stream right in the app. So stepping back for a second, we have live streams with push notifications to the app. You got variable stream quality, uh, audio video switching, that kind of thing. You have the ability to send money straight from the app to the creator without a third party in between or approval processes or any of this stuff. And you got commenting and chat built straight into the, the podcast app itself. I think you can see what you have is decentralized super chat. You have everything that we've come to see and, and to know as being locked into silos like Twitch, YouTube, whatever. You have all these features right in a podcast app and every podcast app can do it. So you're not, you're not beholden to big tech to give you those features. Um, that's it. We got a lot more features coming. We're just getting started. Um, I appreciate Mike Newman for keeping track of everybody that works on the Podcasting 2.0 project. There's hundreds of people uh, listed on our team page. And, um, and that's it. We're, uh, we're just getting started.
Sure. First of all, fantastic work. Please. By the way, three minutes left. Uh, first of all, thank you. Amazing work. Amazing. Uh, best thing I've seen in the last few years. Two questions, please. First, regarding to sending payments, will be there an option to send uh, traditional, uh, more traditional uh, money, uh, digital dollars, whatever? That's one. Second, one of the uh, fundamental problems of the feed technology is that it is one way only. I can't, as a podcaster producer, podcast producer, I can't see, for example, if my uh, listener skips 15 seconds at a certain point. Will there ever be a solution to that problem? So two questions. So it's sort of a, a money question and a stats question. Uh, on the money side of things, we, the, the specification we built uh, called the value tag is well-defined and it's loose. So you can put any digital currency or anything. If you can fit it in there, it'll work. So we chose Lightning because the fee, we, we knew Bitcoin already, the fees were low. Uh, it, it, it met all of our needs. Um, if somebody can figure out a way to, to shoehorn something else in there, go for it. Uh, that's not something we're doing right now, but uh, it's definitely possible. Um, the stats question is harder. You know, lots of people have tried to do decentralized stats in the past. Um, that's a hard question. NPR had a big initiative a few years ago. It didn't really go anywhere. Primarily, the problem always ends up being the apps and they don't want to give privacy leaking information back and it becomes very difficult to do that. So I don't have a good answer on that, on that side of things. But I know a lot of Thanks. people want it. Yeah, we might have time for like one more question. Or not, no, okay. Thank you very much for the, uh, for the presentation. Regarding that last question, so um, if you're a creator, apart from the engaged people that, um, that you hear from, that donate and leave a message, is there anything else that you see uh, in terms of the users? Anything else you know about numbers of engaged people? Um, I can only speak to Lightning, which is what we currently, uh, what everybody currently supports. There's a strong anonymity that happens there. Uh, just the nature of Lightning, the payments are pretty, are, they're completely anonymous. So unless the user chooses to reveal their identity or anything else about it, you're not gonna know anything about them. Um, the other thing, there are, you could glean some stats from that, and, and we do sometimes. You could say, okay, this person uh, boosted at this moment in the show, and all that data is in there, timestamps, Everything is in it. Whenever you get a boostergram or a streaming payment, the timestamp of where that happened in the episode is included in the data. Um, but then there's also the inherent problem of, mo of mobile devices, and they, they're not always online. They go online, offline, depending on where they are. So and that, at that time, most apps will fall back to batching up a bunch of transactions and sending them as one transaction. So if somebody was streaming payments to you at 10 sats a minute for 10 minutes, you may just get one payment of 100 sats. So it's, yes, there is that data there, but it's not always reliable just because of the nature of what, you know, the unreliability of podcasting in general. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Can, can we give it up one more time for Dave Jones and Adam Kerr?